listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Always incredibly honored to get to share God's word at DCC on a Sunday morning. It is a privilege for sure. Um, as Pastor Rocky came to me a while ago with this idea of, of taking a few weeks to concentrate on, <clears throat> excuse me, on writing and things like that, and he asked me to fill in for a series, you know, obviously I started to go right into preparation mode, and so I started praying and planning and just finding out from God what he wanted me to share for the next three weeks, and I felt like I had a direction to go in, and so I started writing notes on pieces of paper, scraps of paper all the way around. I don't know if you're like me, but that's the way my brain works. Every once in a while, an idea will pop in here, and if I don't put it down on paper or in my phone, it is gone as quick as it comes in. And so I've been doing that over the last several weeks, just preparing for this, and I knew what I wanted week one of this series called Not Yet to look like, Um, and then Pastor Rocky preached his message last Sunday, and I literally texted my wife, because that's the new way we lean over and talk to our spouses in church, we text, and so I texted my wife, and I said, I'm pretty sure that Pastor Rocky's about to preach my sermon for next week, and so I sat there with my fingers crossed, hoping that he didn't cross over into some of the material that I felt like God wanted me to share, and for a while I was sweating bullets, thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to prepare something new, and what I started to realize, and what Deanna helped me understand and realizes that maybe this is just the way that God wants to work, that we are going to weave this together and it'll be kind of a continuation of where God has been taking us through the Legacy Living series and kind of couple that with this series called Not Yet. Look at somebody next to you and say, Not Yet. Not yet, not yet. So today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to start by reading our main text this morning right off the bat. So Exodus chapter 13, we're going to be starting in verse 17, and it starts off like this. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we believe that it is for us. We believe that it is powerful. We believe that it is relevant. And so, God, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word today, God, that there would be seeds planted in our hearts today that you would see come to fruition. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I had the incredible privilege this month, just two weeks ago, uh, to celebrate 15 years being married to my beautiful wife, Deanna. And so our anniversary, clap for her, please. She deserves it. Um, And so, uh, but, you know, one of the privileges, honestly, one of the privileges and honors of my life is being married to that amazing woman. And, um, you know, one of the the things that everybody says, there's this cliche, and you know the saying about cliches, the cliche about cliches is that a cliche is a cliche because it's true. And most of the time, that is applicable. And there is one cliche that absolutely applies to our lives and our marriage together, and that is that opposites attract. 
Opposites attract is a thing. It's a saying. It's a cliche because it's very, very true. My wife and I, as far as our personalities are concerned, are very, very different people. I am the life of the party, energetic, outgoing, never met a stranger kind of a person. My wife is way more laid back and subdued and kind of that steady presence. And if you know us, you know I'm telling the honest to goodness lie. That is the opposite of who we are. That is the opposite of our dynamics. I am kind of that calm, steady person, and Deanna is the bouncing all over the place, high energy kind of personality in our marriage. And so that has led to some really fun challenges. That's what we call those things that we get to work through in marriage, right? We call them challenges. And so that's provided some great challenges. I'm telling you, like we could not be any more opposite, like any you know, personality assessment tool or whatever you would take, we're on opposite ends of those spectrums. We really are. It doesn't matter which exam it is or which um, you know, assessment it is. If it's an Enneagram, if we have any Enneagram fans in the room, we're very different numbers. I'm a nine, she's a seven. The only thing that we share is a number eight. If you don't know anything about that, let me just tell you, it's called the challenger. And so you believe you're always right about everything. So that's another set of challenges we get to experience. But I'm pretty sure every married couple has that in common. Can I get an amen? That was a trap, guys. You better not have said amen. You are in trouble if you said it. And so we are very, very different people. And, and I think that most couples in the room, you're probably like us, where you have some differences, you have some challenges that you have the opportunity to work through as you get married. Some of those you know about before you get married. Some of them you hide so that the person will say, I do, and then you let all the crazy out. You know, but, I don't, and, but the one thing that I know that we both knew about each other is that we have one very, very big difference in our personalities and maybe in a preference, and that is about punctuality. We are very, very different people when it comes to being punctual for things. I am of the belief, and I am right, I am of the belief that if you are five minutes early, then you are on time. If you are on time, then you're late. And if you're late, you might as well not even show up, right? That is how I, but anybody else, that's how you feel about punctuality. You all put your hands up so fast because you are so punctual. You did not want to let a beat go by. Yeah, I'm, that's how I feel. My wife, on the other hand, my wife, on the other hand, believes that fashionably late applies to everything, everything. And so she believes that if you're on time, that's a miracle. If you're five minutes late, it's, it's kind of on time. If you're 10 minutes late, it's fine. Who cares, right? Like that's really kind of the mantra of our home. And so that has provided some really, really great opportunities for us to grow in our relationship, right? Now I can say this, and I was, I was told to say this, but I already had it written in my notes in bold and highlighted. My wife has gotten so much better over the years and through God's help and my help. She has gotten so much better over all of these years, but because we run very different in that area, there are plenty of opportunities for me to passively, aggressively say the things that I like to say when we're trying to get ready together to get out the door at a certain time. Like, hey, babe, you know what time it is, right? That's the, like one of the most passive-aggressive things to say, hey, can you please hurry up, right? Or, hey, what time did we have to leave for that thing? What time does that thing start? Just as a, maybe a reminder or to start a discourse on why we should speed up the process so that we can get going. And then sometimes I'm just like, we have to go, right? Anybody that lives with somebody that runs late but you run early, you know exactly the struggle that I deal with and that, we, that presents itself in our marriage. So here's what I've done today. This is not a marriage series. This is not at all about that at all, but I wanted to help those of you that you live with someone that is punctually challenged. 
that they have a hard time being on time for things. And I want to share from the wealth of 15 years of experience how I have dealt with that and helped lead my home as the leader of my home through Christ to help us get more punctual. The first thing is this. You ready? Change the clocks and don't tell them. You think I'm kidding. I am not kidding. This is a thing in our house. Deanna does not know which clock is set to what. Now, phones and smartwatches kind of messed it up a little bit, but still the reality is, is if you're just walking through the house and you glance at a clock, you don't have time to think about what time is it really, and so it helps speed the whole process up. So the running thing in our house is she doesn't ask, and I don't tell how high or how far ahead our clocks are scheduled, but they are all at different random intervals, even in her vehicle. I mean, her vehicle is exactly on time. It is exactly the right time. Don't worry about that one, right? So I do that. The second thing, so set all the clocks and don't tell them. Second thing is always add in a buffer. Listen, I'm about to give away a secret that I held for a long time, but my wife finally figured out. If I know we have to leave at 9 o'clock to be somewhere, you know what I will tell my wife that we need to leave? At 8.45, right? And then they'll catch on, so then you got to change it up a little bit. And then every once in a while when you find an event that you really don't have to be on time for, then you can tell them the real time so that they start believing you again, and then you bait and switch them with that whole thing. You know, it just kind of starts over and over and over again. People are wondering why you asked me to speak right now, right? But let me give you the third and final thing that I have found is effective in our marriage for our punctuality and the difference in how we view being on time and being late is this. If you are punctual and your spouse is not, when you are ready, listen to me, go sit in the car. Get out of the house. When I stay in the house and I'm all ready, like the, the temperature starts rising and I start getting angrier and I know that I'm just like a slip up away from saying something that's going to mess up the whole day, mess up the whole night. So you know what I do? I go now and sit in the car because let's be real, we can't control that in that spouse of ours that's always late. If we're always early, we can try. They get better, but it's not ever going to fix itself. And so I go sit in the car. I listen to a podcast. I watch a few movies. I do all of that stuff. <laughs> And then when it's time, then it's all good. She comes in the car, and then it's, it's great. Listen, listen. If you employ the sit in the car while your spouse is inside technique, resist the urge to honk the horn in the driveway. It will not go well for you. So listen, I know that if you are sitting here and you are very offended, just thinking, man, this guy is so manipulative, that means that you were late this morning because you're late to everything and it's offending you that I'm giving tips on how to be early. If you're taking notes, it's because I know that you probably live with somebody that is always late as well and you're trying to figure this whole thing out because the reality is whether you're always early or you're always late, we hate to wait. We do not like to wait. Humans do not appreciate waiting for something. And when it's waiting for a spouse to get ready, it's really not that big of a deal. When it's waiting for an extra couple of minutes in the line at Starbucks drive through it's really not that big of a deal. But the reality is, what about when we have to wait on big things? Then it becomes a little bit bigger of a deal. What about when we have to wait on those things that we want God to do in our lives, those things that we've been waiting for, those promises that we believe God has for us, those things that we've been praying for, but they haven't been coming in the speed that we have hoped or expected them to, and we find ourselves in a season in between. We're waiting on some of these promises to be fulfilled in our lives. Patience is difficult in those moments as we wait, whether it's 
waiting on a house to be built, or maybe it's you were trucking along in one direction in your life, and then all of a sudden there was a life change, and so the brakes got put on real quickly, and then all of a sudden you're trying to figure out which way is next, and you're listening for direction, and you're trying to figure it out, but you're waiting. You're kind of stuck in this in-between, or maybe for you, you're single in the room, and you're waiting on God to bring you that person, and you're waiting on that spouse, and you feel like you're in that moment, or you're waiting for a promotion, you're waiting for that new job. You're waiting for that raise. You see other people getting those positions. You see other people starting those businesses, but you're just kind of in this season of waiting. Patience is hard to come by in those moments. Or maybe for you, you're waiting as Pastor Rocky has declared this is the year that, that the prodigals will come home, that you're waiting on your prodigal to come home. And that patience is wearing thin because you want them back. You want them back in the fold so desperately. And so there's this season of waiting, or maybe for you, you're waiting on a miracle. You're waiting on a blessing. In those seasons of waiting, it's not always easy to wait for that promise from God. It's not always easy when, when you're waiting on God to come through for you, waiting on God to do something for you, and it's not a no from God, but it just feels kind of like a not yet. It's like this promise is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled in your life, but you're in this in-between, not there yet, not yet. And that in-between can be incredibly confusing and frustrating, but the great news is God does some of his best work in the in-between. God does some of his best work in those seasons where we are waiting because the reality is, and what we have to have faith in today, is that God's timing is perfect, that that delay does not necessarily mean denial, that there is purpose in our seasons of waiting for those promises. I'm going to say that again because that's kind of what this whole entire series is about, that there is purpose in our seasons of waiting for the promise. And so throughout this series, we're going to explore God's intentions for us in those moments, in those times of our life where we feel like not yet. Not no, but not yet. And is there any better example in all of Scripture about waiting for God's promises than the story of Israel, than the story of the Israelites in captivity and leaving captivity? Our text today talked directly about that, and a little bit of backstory, and Pastor Rocky's been preaching from some of these similar texts, so I know that we're well-versed, but the reality is, is that the Israelite people were in captivity for hundreds of years, generation after generation, were born into slavery. And so all of a sudden, there is this call from God to a man named Moses to, to be the leader of the people and to demand their release. God moves, and then their captivity turns into freedom. And, and I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, sometimes I kind of put myself in the mentality of the, the people that we're reading about. And, and so as I was preparing for this, I really tried to get my mind there with the Israelites, to, to, to realize that one day, I mean, I know that there was a lot that happened. There were 10 plagues. There were 10 miracles that happened to free the Israelites. And I, re, I realized that there were 40 years after that. But in that one moment, in that window of time, they literally went one day from being oppressed, being held in bondage, being held in slavery, forced to slave labor, making no choices of their own, to literally the next day experiencing freedom as they walk away from their oppressors. Man, can you imagine the emotions that must have filled that entire nation full of people? Can you imagine how incredibly just reverent and sincere and amazing that must have been for them? 
to walk away from their captivity. Man, if that is not a clear picture of the saving grace of Jesus Christ in our lives, I don't know what will ever be. The parallels are remarkable, that we are lost in our sin. We are dead in our sin. We are slaves to our sin. And then all of a sudden, we have an experience. We have this window of time where we recognize and we discover that Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life for us. And so we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him, and we make him the Lord of our lives. And instantaneously, we go from slavery to freedom. We go from death to life. The parallels are unbelievably close. And friend, if you are here and you've not made that decision, then there's no better time than today to choose to walk away from the oppression of your sin and into the light of Jesus Christ this morning. And so we find this this people of Israel, this entire nation, stepping out of captivity. And there is this promise hanging over them from generations and generations that it's not just going to be freedom to just get out of captivity, but there's a promise for them to walk into a land that has been promised to them, their promised land. And so they step out of Egypt, they step out of slavery, but they have a journey to go to get to their promise, to their promised land. And so in Exodus 13, as we read in our text, that first part of verse 17, and it says that Pharaoh let the people go, and when he did, that God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Have you ever bumped up against a passage of Scripture and it bothers you because you wish that it said something different? If if you're not, you might not be reading your Bible the right way. Because I read this passage of Scripture, understanding the parallels in my life, and I realize that I want this Scripture to sound different. I want this Scripture not to say what it does. I want this Scripture not to say that he did not lead them on the straight route. I want this Scripture instead to say that God led them on the road through the Philistine country, and he defeated all of their foes because it was shorter. That's what I wanted to say. God took them the direct route, took them the straight route, took care of everything because that was the easiest way to go. That was the straightest route from point A to point B, but that's not what it says. And that's not the reality for the children of Israel. In fact, God decided to take them the opposite direction. The straight path that is mentioned here is commonly known as the Via Maris. The Via Maris was a road that was very well known at the time. It was a very popular trade route, and it ran parallel to the Mediterranean Sea. And so as they were leaving Egypt, if they would have gone north on this road, then they would have gotten straight to Canaan in about 11 days on foot. But God took them, instead of north, he took them southeast into the desert of Mount Sinai. Now, if you are directionally challenged in the room, that means this. If they would have gone left, they would have gotten there a whole lot sooner than if they went right. But God took them on a right turn, a hard right. They left captivity, and God did not take them the direct route. He took them the route that we know now in hindsight that it took them 40 years of wandering around the wilderness to get to their promised land. But if that had not happened, if they had not sinned the way that they did, if they had not Um, had all of this rebellion in their hearts and their hearts hadn't been hardened and God needing to lead them around and around and around to work some of that stuff out, even on the path that they took would have taken two years without them doing all of that wandering. And so God, as he's freeing his people that he just released and freed in dramatic fashion as he's leading them out of Egypt, instead of taking the 11-day route, he takes them at least 
the two-year route. God purposely takes them away from the promised land in the opposite direction of where they need to be headed and leads them out into the desert. I mean, you talk about a bait and switch, right? Doesn't that feel like a bait and switch? I'm going to deliver you into nothing for years and years and years and years. And that's how it had to have felt for them because they were given a promise of a land that was theirs, but not yet. This is going to be your land. You are going to inhabit this land, Israel, but not yet. Not yet. And God had a purpose for leading them away from their promise before he led them into their promise. And you know what the biggest reason why God didn't take them on the 11-day journey and took them on the long way around is because they were not ready. They were not ready for their promised land yet. God did not lead them into the wilderness to punish them. God led them into the wilderness to prepare them. And so many times in our lives, we find ourselves in this in-between place. We would even maybe describe it as the wilderness, but we're not there yet. We haven't attained the promise yet. We're kind of in this in-between, and we feel like, okay, God, what did we do wrong, and why are you punishing me in this place? And maybe God's not punishing you. Maybe he's just got you there for a reason and for a season for you to be prepared so that you can walk into the promise that he has for you. The wilderness, that in-between, that not yet is not for punishment. It is for preparation. You see, their deliverance was immediate. When the the children of Israel, when they were delivered, they were delivered. They were done. They were not slaves. They went slavery, not slaves. Captive, free. That was immediate, but there was a journey that had to take place because God had to do some work on their hearts before they were able to walk into the promise that he had for them. The second part of that verse that we just read said that God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God's saying, listen, if I take them the 11-day route, they're going to face some enemies that they're not ready for. They've not been ready for war yet. They're not ready to battle. They're not physically ready. They're not mentally ready. They're not emotionally ready. Spiritually, they're not where they need to be. We can't go that way with them, or they will look at slavery as being a better option than continuing to go. But there is a difference in opinion between God and the Israelite people. You ever feel like there is a difference in opinion between you and God? Yeah, we have different ideas. We have different aspirations sometimes because God knows that they're not ready. But this is what verse 13 says at the, or I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 18 at the end says, the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So God's saying, listen, if I take you this way, you're not ready to go to battle. And the Israelites are like, we're ready to go to battle. Like, God's like, no, you're not ready for this. We're ready for this. Like, they felt like they were ready, but God knew that they were not. And God knew that if they faced some of those battles too early, they would want to turn around and go back. And we know this is true because all throughout their wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years, there's grumbling and complaining and comparison to how good they used to have it. When it was just manna, then they used to complain about the vegetarian option, and they wanted not vegetarian in freedom, but they wanted meat in captivity, right? Nothing was ever. And so God knew that they were not ready for this. God knew that they weren't prepared for this. And what starts to seem like a cruel twist by a vengeful God is revealed to be a well-planned detour by a loving father because the postponement of the promise was for their protection. 
God was not taking them the direct route. He was not taking them the 11-day route. He was not taking them straight through there, not because he didn't love them, but because he knew they weren't ready for it, and if they weren't ready for it, they would be defeated, and so he was protecting his people. What they viewed as an inconvenience actually saved their nation. And it's not just the battles that were ahead that God was saving them from either, but he was saving a culture. He was saving them from becoming who they had just left. Because listen, remember, generations and generations were brought up into Egypt through the uh, Israelite people. They were having families and families and families, and the nation was growing while in captivity in this place, Egypt, that was a polytheistic kingdom of greed and opulence and slavery. They were most, this, these generations removed from understanding what freedom was and generations born into this culture that had infiltrated the culture of Israel. And so they had spent so many years and so many generations in Egypt that it had essentially sunk down into their customs, who they were as people, as much of their customs as they were able to hold on to, so much of that culture of Egypt was pervasive in their hearts. And God knew that they were coming out of a land where they worshipped many gods, up to thousands, some of the estimates say, in ancient Egypt. But God wanted to be the God of his people. That was his plan for the promised land. They were coming out of a place where they built literal storehouse cities just to store their excessive wealth because they could not get enough. But God wanted a generation. God wanted a people that was going to depend on him for provision not on wealth and opulence. They were walking away from a place that built their kingdom on the backs of slave labor and inhumane practices, and God's plan for Israel was always freedom. And so he was taking them out of that. And if the Israelites would have strolled into Canaan, to their promised land, 11 days after walking out of Egypt, then they would have had all of this culture in their past deeply rooted in their hearts, and they would have found a way to worship other gods because we know they did it in the wilderness. They would have, instead of, of using their newfound wealth to, to worship, they would have chosen to use that to exploit. They would have had the mentality and rhythm of slavery and worked their fingers to the bone seven days a week and burnt themselves out because they had no concept of what Sabbath was for them. They were not ready to steward the gift that God had for them because they were still in their hearts in Egypt, in this place that was in direct opposition to the will that God had for their people and for their lives. And God knew that the right blessing at the wrong time would destroy them. God knew that if he took them there the easy way, God knew that if he took them there and 11 days later they were standing on the edge of their promised land, that that blessing that he had for them would absolutely destroy them. I read this story recently of um, this. Uh, it happened in, I think, the state of Utah about a year ago. There was this news story that came out. And the way that the story started is that there was a, um, a call for a, a, an automobile accident on a freeway out there. And so when officers showed up to the scene, they found that there was a head-on collision, a semi, and a passenger vehicle. And so when the police responded, they, they recognized immediately that everybody was okay. Miraculously, no one was injured in this head-on collision. 
But the thing that made the news was that they walked up to the passenger vehicle and looked inside, and in the driver's seat was a nine-year-old girl, and in the passenger seat was her four-year-old sister. No one else was in the car. And so they found out as they started asking these girls questions and got in touch with their family that these two girls really wanted to go to California. They lived in Utah, really wanted to go to California to go swim at the beach. And so when their parents fell asleep, they snagged the keys. The nine-year-old took the four-year-old sister with her, got in the car, and got 10 miles away from their house and onto the freeway. Any other parents about to, like, trying to lock up your keys right now at your house? Do it. Ten miles away before the nine-year-old, apparently, who had been great at driving for ten miles, got really bad at driving all of a sudden, hopped over the median, and slammed head-on with a semi. Again, miraculously, no one was injured. Now, in a couple of years, right, at 16 years old, with the proper training, a 16-year-old could be a responsible, well, somewhat responsible, well, they'll be an R.I. driver, Right? With the proper training, with all of the things that go along with it, with having their permit for a while, with driving with someone that is a responsible driver, with all of those things that the state tells us that we have to do in order to get our driver's license and legally drive a motor vehicle in the state of Florida, with all of those things, that vehicle that that nine-year-old was driving would be a huge blessing. She could pick up her sibling from practices and the parents wouldn't have to do it. She could drive herself to and from school and mom and dad wouldn't have to do it anymore. But at that time, too early, that blessing was a problem. That car in the hands of a nine-year-old is an issue. It is not right. It is not good. It should not have happened. Because the right blessing at the wrong time is harmful. The right blessing at the wrong time is destructive. So what if, what if the reason that you're in this season of waiting right now, and if you're not in a season of waiting right now, let me just go ahead and talk to you too. If you're not in a season of waiting, then you will be. And if you just got out of one, there's another one coming because that's kind of the way that it works when we follow Jesus. So if you're in this season of waiting, maybe the reason that we're there is not because God has forgotten about you or because God doesn't care, but what if it's that he loves you so much that he won't hand you something you're not ready for? What if it's that I'm waiting right now because I'm not ready to be handed over the keys to the kingdom? What if it's I'm not ready right now to walk into Canaan because I have some things in my life that God needs to work on before I'm ready for that? Because if I get that blessing too soon, it's going to be a problem. If I get that, I know this isn't going to preach well, but if I get that blessing right now, I might not be ready for it. And I might not steward that gift that God wants to give me because I'm not ready for it. And God loves me so much that he won't hand it over yet because he knows that it'll be harmful for me. That blessing will become a curse in my hands if I'm not ready. And so God takes us sometimes away from the promise to make sure that we're ready so when that time does come, that it's not going to be a problem for us, that it will be a blessing for us. And this plays out in our lives all the time, right? We're, we think we're ready for that financial blessing, right? We're ready. We're ready for that check to just show up in the mail, we're ready for the IRS to say, oops, we made a big mistake, and here's a million dollars, like whatever. Like we're ready for those financial blessings to happen to us, but what if God is leading us through a season of faithfulness in the little things before he allows us to be faithful in the big things? 
Like we think that, you know, single adults in the room, you might think that you're ready for the one, but what if God has you in this season of waiting, as Kendall taught our young adults so beautifully a few weeks ago in Bridge, that this might be a season of waiting where God is preparing you for that, so that there are some things in you that are ready for that commitment down the road. What if you think that you're ready for that job that God has got for you eventually, but God's leading you into this season of waiting and working in a place for people that are preparing you so you're going to have the knowledge and people skills to excel when you do finally get there? Or what if you think that you're ready for a lot more influence and leadership, but you might be advancing faster than your character can sustain? And so God is just saying, it's not no. It's not no to the blessing. It's not no to the spouse. It's not no to the job. It's not no to the influence. It's just not yet. It's just not yet. Maybe God is leading you away from the promise for a season to teach you so that you'll be ready when it's time. You see, in the Exodus narrative, God gives Israel the Ten Commandments, and then the Torah follows the Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible, which can literally be translated as teaching. So God has them out in the wilderness. He leads them away from the promise, gives them the Ten Commandments to teach them. It does not go well. And so he gives them the Torah, more teaching. And so he's teaching them and teaching them and teaching them over their time in the wilderness. And the purpose of the long way to the promised land was to teach the Israelites to live a new way, a different way, a way that is in opposition to the way that they knew in Egypt. They had to be taught to embrace Sabbath instead of slavery, to practice worship instead of worry, to offer sacrifice instead of clinging to selfishness, to be content instead of covetous. That's what God was trying to download. That's what God was trying to teach the nation of Israel as he was taking them the long route because he knew that they had to learn some of these things. And one of the purposes in our seasons of waiting is so that God can teach us, so that God can teach us, so that he can show us and teach us the rhythms of his timing, to learn to trust him and not lean on our own understanding. But you see, the Israelites were notoriously unteachable. They had hard hearts. They were rebellious. And so because of that, they didn't learn to live the way that God asked them to live, and they decided to complain instead, because let's be real honest, it's way easier to complain about waiting for my promise and it not showing up on time than to start asking myself the question, what is God trying to teach me while I'm waiting for the promise? It's way easier for me to just be like, God, how dare, why haven't you brought it yet? Like, why isn't it coming? Why is it taking so long? Why are you doing this to me? But instead, what if we flip the question and say, okay, God, this is taking a lot longer than I thought that it should, but I know and I trust that your timing is perfect. So what is it, God, that I need to learn in this season? What is it that I need you to teach me? What is something in my heart that needs to be softened? Where is that rebellion that's hiding out? Where is that Egypt that's hanging out in the corner of my heart that I need to get out that you can deal with so that I'm ready for that promise to happen? So I'm ready to walk into that promise that you have for me. And your season of waiting, is your heart hardened by the wilderness or are you complaining or are you asking that question? John chapter 14 and verse 26, this is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit coming, and he says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. The role of the Holy Spirit in our life, among other things, is to teach us. 
in those in-between times, when we're wandering in our wilderness, when we've come from slavery and we're not at the promised land yet, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives during that time is to teach us, just like God tried to teach the Israelites. The Holy Spirit will teach us all things, God's Word says, especially in our times of waiting. Here's what I have figured out in my life. In those times of waiting, in those times of in-between, in those times of not yet where I'm, I'm kind of frustrated, it's a little bit confusing, it's lasting longer than I'm wanting it to, I have found that I can either start complaining and asking the wrong questions or I can start to be sensitive because I find that for myself, for me, and I think it's true for you as well, that in those seasons, kind of the, the, the antennas are up, the radar is on, and we are more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit in those moments if we choose to be than at any other time. Because I believe that God wants to speak to us in those moments. When God can get our attention in those seasons, he can teach us so that we'll be prepared to enter into the promise in his timing not our timing. One of my favorite parts of this passage of Scripture as we wrap up this morning, one of my favorite parts of this passage of Scripture, because the first part is really difficult. Let's just be very honest. I knew when I was preparing this, it wasn't going to be like a woo kind of sermon. But I, as difficult as it is to understand and recognize that God brought the people out of captivity to lead them away from the promised land for a time, it was just for a season they got there, but as difficult as that is to read and parallel that with our own lives, the last two verses, especially the last verse of that text that we read, should bring a ton of hope to us because it says in verse 22 in Exodus 13, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. You see, in this time when the Israelites probably thought that God was a billion miles away, God chose to put his presence right in front of them. Not just during the day, but during the night. There was not a moment throughout a 24-hour stretch of time, seven days a week, that God's presence was not there and not available for them to follow. And then later on in the story, as Moses is getting ready to pass off the baton, in Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You see, God's presence is here in the waiting. God's presence is here in the not yet. He doesn't lead you out into the wilderness to be alone and by yourself and kind of, boop, now figure it out and then come back to me when you have the answers. No, it's, hey, I'm leading you. I want you to come with me out here. I need to teach you some things I can't teach you in the promised land. I need to teach you some things I couldn't teach you in captivity. Come with me, but I'm here. I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm not kicking you out the door to figure it out on your own. I want to be with you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't have anything to worry about. You have nothing to be fearful for because I am here. I am in front of you. I am leading you. Just like I led the children of Israel, my presence is real in your life. And in those moments where you feel like it's not yet, in those moments where you feel like it's taking too long, in those seasons where it just feels like it's dragging on and you're full of confusion, just understand that you might not have all the answers but if we choose to ask the question, God, what are you teaching me? That I believe that God will reveal his presence so clearly in our lives. That the answers will begin to come. The promises are going to come. But we've got to understand that his presence is here now. Whether you've walked into that promised land or you're on the in-between, God's presence is here and he is leading us. Because the promise will be fulfilled. Will we be ready to walk in?
God's promises are yes and amen, as Pastor Rocky preached last week. But are we going to be teachable in the not yet and be ready to step in and walk into that promise? So what is God trying to teach us right now? In that season of waiting that you find yourself this morning, what is God trying to teach us? What have we been closed off to? What, what, what is it that, that we, don't want to, we don't want the answer to that question because we want it our way? What if we were honest this morning? What if we asked truly with repentant hearts, God, why, what is it that you want to teach me? What is it that you're trying to teach me? What do I need to learn? Holy Spirit, show me those places, illuminate those places in my heart that I've kept hidden in the shadows where I'm, I'm, I'm harboring selfishness, where I'm, where I'm clinging on to my own idea of what my life should look like. God, help me to let go of those things. Teach me, teach me your ways, God. Teach me your rhythms, teach me your rest, teach me your ways so that I can walk in those ways, so that I can be ready when my promise is there to be fulfilled, that I am ready to walk into that promise. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.